You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, you're listening to the Indie Football Podcast. My name's Jonathan Liu. I'm the Chief Sports Writer of The Independent. Thanks for listening. Uh, I am joined by Chief Football Writer Miguel Delaney. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good, yeah. yeah. Back in work after two weeks. Still a bit getting used to that. Got a lovely tan. Thanks. <laughs> and that's, that's not racist. <laughs> it's not, no. And uh, a very special guest joining us today. Uh, you may have heard him on the pod a few weeks ago. Duncan Alexander from Opta. Duncan, Hello. How's, how's your weekend been? Uh, it's been good, yeah. Eastry. Not that Eastry, actually. Mm. But, you know, all right. Yeah. I mean, the football's good. Football was good. I mean, it was a, it was a great weekend in the uh, in the EFL, and um, we saw Tottenham winning at Chelsea for the first time since um, nineteen ninety. Since Gaza was healthy, mm. um, <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety. I mean, I, I remember doing a, a a piece for when I was at the Telegraph a few years yeah. ago, doing a piece, interviewing all the all the people in, well, not all the people involved. And, um, you know, John Bumstead, who, who scored a goal for Chelsea, is now a cab driver. And um, David Howells, he's like a, he's like a school teacher. And, and, and Gary Lineker disappeared without trace. Never, yeah. never heard from him again. Um, so over the course of the sort of next three to four hours, we'll talk about <laughs> uh, the Champions League, big Champions League game. Liverpool against Manchester City at Anfield uh, tomorrow night or possibly tonight or yesterday night or several days ago depending on whether you're uh whether you're downloading this later in the week um miguel you're you're off there tomorrow yeah night part actually, of a crack team of four of us there actually four of us yeah. christ me um, you mark critchley and simon Hughes. um what's gonna happen um it's been a bit weird over the past few days because it does feel it's kind of it's all despite the fact that city are running away with the title and going to win it in record time probably there's kind of this, this shift oh Fancy Liverpool. I think Liverpool will do them. Uh, I, I think Liverpool could well win the first game, but I think it, it, I think this is just going to be kind of a, a shootout, really. And every and City will score more over the two legs for me. Yeah, I think if it was a one-off game like the Premier League match at Anfield in January, yeah. then you'd probably think Liverpool had a, had a decent chance. But um, over two legs, you'd, you'd fancy City to do it. And um, you know, it's going to be slightly frustrating. I always think these big games, the first leg, you know, we're only mm. going to be halfway through. Um, and if it's, you know, Liverpool might win 3-1 or 2-1, but that's probably still advantage City going into the second leg. Yeah. I mean, it, I've, I'm slightly worried that City will will do a City and, and kind of take the tie away in, in for possibly even in the first half an hour, 45 minutes. I mean, is, is, it, is it a danger that, I guess... The trouble with two-legged football is that the first leg can, can often render the second leg irrelevant. Is that a danger here? There is a weird stat about Guardiola, and he doesn't actually do that well in away mm. legs in Europe. Yeah, even when Barcelona were in their pump, he, he lost or drew most of the away yeah. games. Um, and I think the, the other, when you have uh, a Champions League game between two clubs from the same country, the away goals rule becomes a weird thing. Yeah, because yeah. it's almost like the teams are so used to playing at that stadium, both teams, um, they kind of forget that away goals mm. are still a thing. Um, and obviously that could be a massive thing. 
actually, although I'm doing, I've done a piece in this which should be out by the time this podcast comes out, all, all English ties. This will be the eleventh. Liverpool, Liverpool have been involved in seven. In, in the Champions League era? In the, no, including, well, t- uh, of, of the ten we've already had, nine have been in the Champions League. The first was Chelsea, Arsenal, 3 or 4. But there was one before that, which was Liverpool Forest in 78. And uh, f- that was apparently a very bad-tempered game. And Forest won it 2-0. But all, all through that first leg, uh, Forest has gone ahead. And loads of Liverpool players, particularly Phil Thompson and Emlyn Hughes, kept going to the Forest players. One's not enough, one's not enough. You've got to go to Anfield, one's not enough. Um, but then Liverpool and Paisley admitted this after the match as you're talking about away goals Liverpool could have stupidly tried to kind of get, get an equaliser like try, try and get a result in the game or just, rather than, as Paisley said had it been any other European game we probably would have just sat back accepted the 1-0 played it tight and tried to catch them out but so Liverpool kept going forward they got caught 2-0 and uh, a lot of the Forest players have made a point of going over to Hughes and Thompson. It's too enough. It's too enough. <laughs> I, mean, I, I imagine in that era when you only have one team qualifying for the European Cup every year, so an occasion like that would have been such a novelty, I guess. I, I suppose the weird thing, though, um, the, the Forest players were really disappointed to draw Liverpool, and not because it was of how good Liverpool were, their Kings of Europe, because they'd won two European Cups in a row at that point, but more so because... It was their first big European away, and they they wanted the novelty of a, of a proper trip. Yeah, and and I guess um, over the you know sort of the first decade of the twenty first century, it almost became a commonplace. You know, you you had all English semi finals and all English final. You regularly had three English teams in the semi finals, and and then there there was a kind of time where it was almost passe having having yeah. an all English Champions League tie. Yeah, there was a point where it felt like Liverpool and Chelsea would play at least 12 to 20 times a season. <laughs> um, most of them ending nil-nil. Um, but I think, you know, that those they did really set the kind of tone for the for the mid-2000s, late-2000s. Um, you know, the ghost goal um, up at Anfield in, that, in the first meeting. Um, and then they kind of, they were very defensive all the way through to the, to the last one with 4-4, yeah. four, four, wasn't it, at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was after Chelsea had... Beating them three one at Anfield, hadn't they? And that, that was that was another one of those games. It was the away go, away goal rule felt weird. Well, I suppose Chelsea had such an advantage from winning away the first time. But yeah, I think between oh four and twenty eleven, we had, and this isn't even even isn't even including Chelsea and Liverpool in the group stages in oh five oh six. There was nine all English ties, nothing since, and not not including all the English Scottish ties, which you know all the battles of Britain and all that. Yeah. Um, well. Do they, I mean do do we think it'll be played? At the in the style and the tempo of a Premier League game, or kind of the, the, the will the setting, will the kind of the context determine to to a large extent how the game's played? You can't. I mean, you can't I, really see. I think Klopp it'll be and, open. You think it'll be open? I, I, I mean, I suppose the expectation is usually just because of how we've been conditioned with the away goal of Europe, or they'll they'll keep it tight. Mm. No, I think Klopp. I mean, he's beaten uh, Guardiola more than any other manager in Guardiola's career five times, excluding shootouts, um, and he's done it in a particular way, which was the way we saw in in January. Um, so I think he'll try and replicate that. Obviously, if you know, say that that was the same this week and it was four three, that would be a bad result for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, but that game could have easily been four one, which would probably be a decent result. So uh, it's quite weird what the away goal does. You're thinking that sense because. It was always, I mean, for years, always discussed. Oh, a nil all is worse than a two one defeat away because you got the away goal. Even though logically, if 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 you've lost first like two one, you have to score to win to just stay in the tie. Whereas if it's nil all, you don't. Yeah, but I mean, it's the psychology of it, which is mm. why 
one all in the away leg is actually a very dangerous scoreline. It's actually worse than nil-nil, uh, if, if depending on on your your parameters of, of you know how, how you look at it. But a surprising number of teams who draw the away leg one all right. go back to your own place, think yeah we're fine, you know goalless draw will do us, and uh, and they end up getting getting suckered. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a two-all or, or because and I, know, I wonder whether that's the, the psychology of it. Whereas if you lose the first leg two-one, you actually kind of know you have yeah. to, to go and win. There was yeah. a classic staple of English teams in the 90s, wasn't it? That kind of, the eerie silence that he dropped from the ground. Oh no, like, Trav's on spore have got an away goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also yeah. The, the the fact that you knew only like 60% of people knew what was going on. Yeah. Like, they were like, Does every goal count double? Have they now scored six? No, that's not the case. I mean, there is an argument that away goals is an anachronism that should be got rid of. You know, it was brought in because you know, A, coin tosses were seen as not yeah. a very good way of settling <laughs> games. Well, you know, you can make that quite exciting now with a <laughs> slow-mo yeah. of a coin spinning around. But um, but also, you know, it was very... Going away in Europe was a very strange experience. You know, you go to countries and grounds that were very different. Yeah. Whereas now, it's so homogenous, really. But also, I mean, I remember reading about this. I mean, like, basically, because scouting was so difficult in the 50s and 60s, first of all, air, air travel, you know, was such a kind of... a uh, it's itself a kind of a distinctive new experience for clubs or regular air travel. Then you go to a ground, you haven't been up the scout team much. So what's your natural, especially if you're kind of behind the iron curtain, what's the natural inclination in that sort of situation? Well, we'll keep it tight and see how this pans out. So yeah, it did make sense in that way to kind of draw those teams out. But now we kind of know everyone. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, yeah, Ronaldo scoring a hat trick away from home is not <laughs> a remarkable event. It's, <laughs> it's just Wednesday. And, we can't have. I mean, you got to have some way of deciding, uh, you know, even, even ties that, that isn't isn't just extra time and penalties. Otherwise, you'd have, as, as a journalist, you don't you don't want too many games going to extra time and penalties. That'll be a nightmare. How, how are we going to decide these games if not the away goals rule? Yeah, yeah. Bring back the coin toss. Bring back the coin toss. Yeah. I mean, I think was it Ian Hawkey who wrote something very interesting in the in the Blizzard yeah. a few years ago about basically why the away goals rule was. Uh, why the away goals rule was a great idea at the time, but these days, when football is, is largely played on the counter attack, uh, home advantage is, is so slight that, yeah. that there's, there's essentially no no point to it. Well, that's it as well. And again, it comes back to this idea that, like, especially the big clubs at that stage of the season, they've all played at these grounds so many times. There's no kind of, you know, they'll, so many will just go away and play their natural game now. It's not a case of kind of needing to be drawn out. I mean, just a, a slight. I mean, it's a slight tangent, but. It, while we're on the subject of home advantage, if is the is the idea of Tottenham playing an FA Cup semi-final at, at Wembley, like a an evenly divided Wembley in terms of fans, but is that an advantage for them? They seem to uh, say. I mean, they probably say no. is, I would say. But I mean, it's funny how the start of the season the Wembley curse was hanging over them, yeah, yeah. and then it's now switched around. The same people are sort of saying, "Oh, they've got a, a massive advantage." I mean, yeah. you know, if they're playing, Mourinho will bring it up. They lose. Yeah, definitely. But it's not like United. Uh, inexperienced at playing at Wembley so again it's just it's again homogenisation of modern football actually going back to the uh, all English ties six of the ten we've had have been won by the team lower down the table and of the four that were not three of them were won by like Ferguson's United that was regularly getting the Champions League finals do you think that I mean first of all that's probably too low to be statistically significant six out of ten that's very nearly 60% yeah on an even more of a tangent, I only worked out of the week that United get into three Champions League finals in four seasons. It's the only time an English team's done that. Really? Which surprised me, given, obviously, the late 70s. And yeah, the yeah. 80s. Liverpool never did that. No, two, three over five years, yeah. but there were 
you know, obviously your villas seven. and your forests yeah. edging in. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Guardiola must be a little bit concerned that it's very similar to how it panned out with Bayern this season. You know, yeah. winning the league by an absolute mile, um, and then going into a, a particularly difficult Champions League tie, and you know, it could all go wrong. Um, I don't think he's going to be judged this season like he was at Bayern for not winning the, mm. the Champions League if he doesn't do it. But um, it's something he's probably aware of. I was talking to someone uh, who knows Liverpool well yesterday. And around, especially kind of around the squad and that, and they were saying that there is actually kind of a a Benitez, how do I actually have to put it, Benitezian style belief that they they can win this game, like reminiscent of when they used to regularly play Chelsea. That they kind of it's irrelevant how much better the opposition are in the league that they feel they can, you know. That I mean that does seem to count for a lot, doesn't it? I mean yeah. it certainly affected Chelsea before they won. There first, they had so many near misses, and and I wonder whether if you've never won a competition before, and you don't know what it feels like, you don't know what the steps are. Yeah, and and that that's probably something that City well, are going through at the moment. It's probably it's something that came up actually a lot in the last in the last sixteen. And I was actually thinking, of, is it is it worth a piece in this and this whole idea of not just experience, but how much the history of a club infuses them in a case of, because I mean we saw Real against PSG and then Juve against Spurs and like Chiellini made a point to mention after the game that history matters do we do we, do we yeah. agree with him? His- history absolutely does matter I mean if you look at the last sort of uh, 10 years of the Champions mm. League I think every single semi-finalist has come from one of the big five leagues yeah. no the, the last the last semi-finalist to come out of the from outside of the big big five leagues Spain, Italy, Germany France and England uh, was PSV Eindhoven back yeah. in 2005. 2005, when you know they they almost knocked out Milan in that semi final, mm. and I, I think as well as clubs almost knowing their role and, and 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 suffering under the weight of history, you get you know whole whole countries sometimes do that. Well, I mean, because I have been thinking of this, how would that translate in an actual game? Is it is it almost a psychological thing? Like if you're Chiellini, say, or another Juventus player or Real Madrid player, there is almost that assurance that comes from kind of, well, we're Real Madrid events, we usually win these games. So you don't feel, whereas, whereas if you're a club that's never got to that level before, just kind of a natural panic maybe or anxiety will come into your game because of the awareness that, wow, this is huge. At Wembley, the Tottenham-Juventus, the second leg, when Juventus equalised, you felt a wave of anxiety. Yeah. Just kind of undulating around the stadium. Hang on. Oh, no we know what happens here and then it happened mm. yeah, and also I think a bit of you know know-how as well didn't Juventus make their substitution rather than a double substitution they did it staggered so yeah, Tottenham yeah. Were, it took longer for Tottenham to work out what was going on um, it's just little things like that really yeah let, let them stew in their own juices yeah um, so we got uh, Liverpool City Wednesday night we got Bayern Sevilla that's also tomorrow night is that not tonight is that not that. tonight can't remember. It's just all, just all about all about the Barclays yeah, the, here, mate. This, 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 City, Liverpool, you know, who, who cares about that foreign muck? This is the difference between uh, between me and Ed, Ed Malley. And Ed, Ed Malley <laughs> does, does his research. I, I, I bop in on the tube, get get in half an hour late. Uh, if you're wondering where Ed is, by the way, he he, he made the um, the quite slightly dubious decision to to spend his his Tuesday in uh, the south of Spain with his his loved ones, <laughs> rather than in a freezing subarctic London in early April. I don't know why he chose to do that, but uh, he'll be back. He'll be back quite soon. Um, I mean, I wanted to get on to to a discussion that that I suppose is relevant to fans of the Premier League, fans of many of the big five leagues. People talk about the Premier League as the most competitive 
yeah. league in the world. I think we've stopped calling it the best. That 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 charade has, has <laughs> kind of kind of dissolved. Um, it's, it's died an, un, an unseemly death. But people say it's the most competitive league in the world. We're, we've just started April. The title race is over. The top four race is basically over. Yeah. The top six is pretty much sewn up. Uh, there are sort of five or six teams fighting for relegation, but we we know who's going to finish bottom as well. How is that the most competitive league in the world? Um. To be boring, you'd probably have to look at it over kind of the course of five seasons, really, wouldn't you? Because, I mean, the, just the way things fall, it can kind of distort that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier. You know, there's actually been very few Premier League seasons where it's gone down to the last day for yeah. title races. I mean, everyone can remember the, the key ones, yeah. 2012, 95, 99. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily judge a, a league's competitiveness just on you know, whether it's still alive with a couple of weeks to go. Um, I think the variation in the Premier League is still good. I mean, we're, yeah. we're still on course this decade for, you know, no team to retain the title, which will be the first time since the 1960s, which is obviously very different to, you know, Juve or Bayern yeah. who, are, who are mopping it up regularly. Um, yeah, I think, it, you know, there's it's obviously a bit of an abstract concept and, and how you kind of cut yeah. it and, and slice it is, is up to you. Also because it's very difficult to actually judge a, comp, a league as a whole. and Because even, say, in Spain, when they're going to, you know, it used, to, it used to be called like the SPL and the Sun and all, it's just Barca and Real. But then beyond that, there's actually, there was a lot of competitiveness within Spanish t- teams to get to remaining two Champions League places. The relegation battles are always usually quite good in Spain. So, I mean, there's different ways of kind of looking at competitiveness that way and kind of the vitality of a league. There's so many different ways of measuring it. And, mm. and I suppose all the different leagues have their own characteristics. Uh, Italy and Germany and now and now yeah. France, I guess, are are so massively skewed by having one yeah. outstanding team that it actually makes the rest of the league kind of, you know, a little bit more vibrant because there's, there's so much else to fight for. Whereas... Uh, Spain have that have that kind of duopoly, but even you know in in the La Liga this season, Barcelona, as we know, are running away with it. The top four, I think, have been the same top four since about October. The bottom three have been the same bottom three since since January. I mean, are we are we kind of seeing the inevitable conclusion of the, the, the financial the financial gravity, I guess, of European football just just almost stretching out these leagues and and, and making it so much harder for for, for challenges to, to the established order. But I, I did hear that certain broadcasters are getting slightly perturbed about City and how good they could get under Guardiola. Because um, you would think, I know what we've probably said, it's pretty easy to think this every time someone wins a title. I mean, when Mourinho won in 2015, you would have thought they'd retain it because they were top at the time. Maybe not Leicester. Uh, Conte last season. But I mean, I don't know if you remember the kind of autumn of 2005. Obviously, Chelsea won the league in 2005 yeah. comfortably. Um and then they'd start the following season. You know, I think they won like twelve of the first yeah. year, thirteen games, and pretty much everyone was like, "Well, this is it now. This is forever." <laughs> the Chelsea end of history. Just gonna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that obviously didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah. So, you know, football's too kind of fluid for that to, you know, for things to last too long. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Um, so, and obviously, Guardiola is as good as he is. Doesn't tend to stick around at clubs too long. Yeah. Know, what's he got? Two, maybe three years left at City. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's interesting to think that I mean assuming he, he, he spends three years at City like like he intended to, we're we're nearer the end than, than we are the beginning. That it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of weird to think that and obviously when he started last season they won was it nine or ten games in yeah, a row and that's true. Uh, and again people were saying it's the end of days. As well as that I suppose you do, you, the big difference Premier League talking about the financial gravity is um 
even if City are kind of super powered by you, uh, Abu Dhabi wealth, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like United, United are a poor club. It's not, and even even today, this morning, the announcement of Spurs are earning 100 million more. I think that that is the key thing. It's the the fact there's a big six, and yeah. what that does is not only mean that theoretically any one of six or even Leicester a few years ago could win the league, but also uh, means that pretty much every weekend you've got a big game. Yeah, you know, there's a game between two of the big teams every week, which kind of builds that narrative of oh, this league's really exciting. But that's actually the weird thing there for the remainder of the season, because just a little insight into the machinations of the indie just before we came on, Duncan got to had the pleasure of listening to me and deputy sports editor Ben discuss fixtures for the next few weeks. Um, but well, like we were looking, I mean, having previously, like as you, as you say, for most of the season, every week the the big draw, there's one big six game, like I, like last week Chelsea Spurs. Um, Recently enough, United Liverpool, but uh, and that's like in the space of three weeks. Whereas now, for the rest of the season, title is done. So I'd say after United City, if the, or or and maybe if City don't win a title this weekend, United or City Spurs, there's no more kind of big games involving those sides. Champions League is done. So the the big games for the remainder of the season will probably be what, West Ham, Stoke. That's coming up soon, isn't it? Yeah, West Ham, Stoke on a on a Monday night. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, you know the, the bright is it Brighton, Brighton Spurs actually. Yeah. I said I, I I could just pick out two names at random and they're probably going to play each other at some point. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I th- I think those the, the teams in in that kind of fourteenth uh, and nineteenth zone. Yeah. Those those are going to be the big games from now on. And, and I, I want I mean is that a problem? I mean is it a problem when maybe basically a quarter of of your of your games have have so little relevance? I mean, we all, we all I mean, I think that's in a way that's just a natural result of, mm. of leagues, isn't it? You know, that actually probably happens most seasons. It's just everyone can remember Aguero scoring. Or, yeah, you know that th- those are the things that stick in your mind. But generally, um, you know, generally, you know, even relegation battles don't. You know, it's very rare that it goes down to the final yeah. day where all three teams. Yeah, does, does nothing wor- I think this happened oh five or six actually. There's nothing worse that when because uh, d- d- there's a different rhythm to a relegation battle in the sense that with a title race. Every winning goal kind of creates more tension. Kind of creates, you kind of keeps the buzz going. Or every, every uh, or every setback, say. Um, whereas the relegation matter, kind of, it's quite a slow build-up to then what is often a manic uh, final crescendo. Um, and all you know, the pictures of kind of chil- children crying in the stands and all this, all, all of it. Always love. good to see that. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of, so you you kind of. With a relegation battle, obviously not for the fans of clubs involved, but for the rest of us, you're almost going to wait. Okay, we want to, we want the pieces to stay in place so we have that final day of utter chaos. Um, but I, and I remember all five or six Portsmouth got a win just before, and it, oh, it's done. Um, but then the season before, about three weeks from the end, I think, I think there was a classic game between Norwich and Southampton, was it a four-three, which was a uh, you know, vintage relegation. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And then and Norwich went to Fulham on the last day, didn't they? Norwich went to Fulham. Needing, I th- needing a win to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. and uh, narrowly lost six 0 so, uh. <laughs> And then there was uh, Roy Hodgson's Fulham pulling mm. off the. What is it? Was it coming back from two 0 down? Oh, you occasionally get the the cheat relegation survival, which is what Laurie Sanchez did. He won one of his games at Fulham, and that was against a Liverpool team who were basically resting players ahead of the Champions League. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got the job uh, based on that. And yeah. And then didn't last long. <laughs> and and you know, needless to say, he he did not have the last laugh. I mean, but, but it's true. I mean, I'm just trying to think of kind of great relegation run-ins. Ninety-three, four. Yeah, but it's, it's usually the last day. Remember, it's it's not quite the build-up to it. Bar, I say the, the one um, difference, or the, the one, the only one that stands out maybe is Fulham's running under Hodgson, as you said, where they suddenly got all these improbable victories. 
Yeah, but that's the thing as well, is that having a good end of season makes people think you've done all yeah. right. Whereas if Huddersfield stay up this season, it will be down to their autumn and they're really good. Yeah. You remember Hull a few years ago when their first season in the Premier League started off amazingly, won at Arsenal, won at Spurs, yeah. and, though, and basically hung on from about November <laughs> to yeah. the end of the season. Now, that's not better or worse. You know, whether you, when you get three points for win, whether it's in you know October or April. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, last season, West Brom, who, who reached 40 points in about February, I think. And I th- maybe won one more game, one, one more game between then and the rest of the season, ended up with 46, something, something ridiculous. Mm. And that really just fed into the whole, the whole idea that they were a club that, that were not going to go beyond a certain level. And once that, that de- despondency set in, it was really hard for Pulis the next season yeah. to, to re-motivate them. And, and there were all these stats showing that the Pulis team really, really do kind of put a handbrake on when mm. they get to 40 points. And the converse of that, I guess, being Leicester in 2014-15 when they, they, they had their great escape. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so, I mean, that really is one of the great ones as well. Their, you know, their points per game over the last um, that know, is couple of months them, was, was almost better than when they were winning the title. I mean, do, what, do you know offhand what, what is the best or what are the best relegation run-ins? Actually, the teams that have really. I think Leicester. In, if you if you go back like ten games, I think Leicester is is the best. And um, mm. you know, it was title-winning form, but you'd be a, a brave man in yeah. summer 2015 to say I think Leicester will be contenders <laughs> for the league next year. A wise man. Yeah. <laughs> Steaming hot take would if Nigel Pearson had stayed in charge over that summer and, and they they hadn't had that racist orgy. Uh, <laughs> it was a racist orgy. That, that's just stating facts. Uh, would would Leicester have won the title even sooner than they did? I under remember Ranieri. making the point when when Ranieri got sat that what he did was admittedly impressive, but all he was doing was carrying yeah. on. Leicester. I mean, the the key change was that with January where he he made them defensively solid. You know, they had all those one 0 wins that edged them over the line, but you know, the autumn, the Jamie Vardy score in 11 games, that was essentially just a continuation of, of Pearson. Without, without diminishing Ranieri's, what has become basically the defining moment of his career, defining feat of his career is one big victory, this eternal bridesmaid's big, you know, big day. There was, I mean, it's not like he came into Leicester and, you know, changed the core of how they work. He, he was a little bit of a figurehead who kind of just kind of tinkered a bit and then, you know. He, had, he had his nice day out, Ranieri. He had his, he had his okay. nice season. But if, if he's joined... If if he joins your club now, you're still thinking, oh god, <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't really ch- he hasn't really changed his um his perception in that respect. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's probably true. But every everyone was happy for him. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting I mean, just, just to I mean, just to, to crunch a few a few numbers on this. Uh, as as we we talked about close title races, 
uh, Premier League probably hadn't had one since 2014, I guess, when 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 Liverpool and City went went up for it. And, and that that the real climax of that was, yeah, this this does not slip. Yeah, uh, and and the La Liga in the meantime, its last four races have have been settled by three points or or, or less, and yet. Those, you know, everybody looks at La Liga as, as the the epitome of a you know a very like a, a non-competitive mm. league. So like 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 we say that there's there's few there's there's different ways of measuring it. I, now to to finish in the top four and in the top six in the Premier League, you you need more points than in any mm. other league. But does it really matter if if you know you need more points to finish if there's does it really matter if there's fifteen or twenty five points in between first and fourth or first and sixth? I, I sometimes think that we can we can put too much importance to those things because sometimes just the circumstances of a season lends itself to that because you know a team as you yeah. played on or whatever. I like mean, statistically, the closest Premier League season ever was ninety six ninety seven if you measure it from gap between top and bottom. Mm. But I mean, most people would class that as one of the least memorable yeah. seasons, and, and it wasn't particularly. You know, there were no outstanding players. Particularly, it wasn't. There were no, not that many great games. So, United won a title in the way United do, having lost five nil. They lost three, five nil, six three, and then another defeat to Chelsea. Three, three games in a row in that. Yeah. In that in autumn. Yeah, it wasn't vintage in any. You know, there were no real. I mean, Arsenal, Wenger had just taken over. Yeah. They were a work in progress. You know, it was Roy Evans, Liverpool were, were decent, but not consistent enough. We, um, we even had the farce of um, Middlesbrough getting relegated because of the... Uh, the flu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we turn up? Nah, let's have a rest. <laughs> Sick note. Yeah. Sick note. I've got, I've got a note from my mum. I've got a note from 13 of our players' mums. I mean, oh, the that, stupid thing with that is if they had just turned up and played, the, yeah. not even the youth team, just the, the wives or something, <laughs> then and lost. They Did you get, get your registration that easily? Yeah, yeah it'd been around then. It was yeah. the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah. Uh, well, we've got um, we've got two big derbies this weekend. Should we talk about? Should we talk about them? Manchester United. Do, do they matter in any way at the moment? Do they matter? Well, I mean, uh, older than City. Well, this is a slight thing about Wednesday. Um, is you know, Liverpool and City will be going into those games in a frame of mind we don't know yet because yeah. one of the, you know they might both still be in with a shout at the Champions League. One of them might be completely out of it. Yeah, and that could affect the the league game. Yeah. Klopp was having a big old moan about the um, when when the, the the fixtures came out that th- their game against Everton was moved to to Saturday lunchtime and he from I think Sunday mm. it was supposed to be Sunday afternoon and he moved it to Saturday lunchtime and he had a big old moan about that because it meant that they had a, now had a turnaround from Wednesday night to Saturday morning whereas when it was on Sunday afternoon. It was fine because... But they're playing Tuesday. I know. I know I Danny Ings is probably pleased, to be fair. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a big, big day for the... Big afternoon for, for the lad. Yeah. Um, do we... Do, do do we do... Sorry, not not we. Sorry, very parochial there. Do we do enough to... Um, the Premier League do enough to help its teams in, 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 in European sh- competition? Mm, well, I mean, just go back to Mourinho's eternal... I think probably is a fair argument that they... Well, this might... This will change, of course. But they haven't been letting them play on Friday nights ahead of... European game, so probably not in that sense. And e- and even the fact that there are such now, and this is probably unavoidable to a degree, but 
huge games at this specific time. There's a strange kind of historical machismo in English football mm. around playing a lot of games. Yeah. You know, there's non-league teams will play the end of the season with like five games in seven days. I remember Wickham going up in the end of early 93 and played five times in seven days. Played like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Had, had they not run away with it by then? It, we'd sealed the league on the Thursday. So mm. the Saturday and Sunday games didn't matter. Won both of them. Um, but even so. But it was kind of like seen as a just a, a bit of a jolly jape really <laughs> and conditioning. It, Who cares? It's essentially the fictionless equivalent of Terry Butcher's bleeding head against Sweden in 1989. Exactly. I remember once we, we got contacted by someone at uh, AC Milan, I think, to say that Milan were due to play Monday, hmm. Friday, and then the following Monday. And they said, is this a record for a team? <laughs> and we were like, uh, no, it's, it's not a record. It does always but make me laugh when, when they, they get people get het up about the, the fixture pile-up at Christmas. Mm. When if you go back to the 60s, you'd have... And, and look at like Everton or Burnley's fixtures list, it would be like 23rd of December, 24th of December, 25th of December. Sometimes they play Christmas Day, yeah. 27th of December, 28th of December. And there's obviously some of those would get postponed. Uh, I think, you know, it's just, I think it's just millennials being snowflakes. This brings actually back though to the whole issue of City and Guardiola and competitive races and the Champions League. In that, at this point of the season, actually, do you want a kind of the electricity of a title race because it kind of powers your European rate. I mean, you know, the classic example I suppose is ninety eight, ninety nine, in which you kinda you know, they were just on that that roll. Mm. Uh, and I and I, I we've countless examples over the past few seasons, especially with Guardiola of getting to this point of the season and suddenly they it's as if they kinda caught a little bit cold. Well famously, was it was it twenty fourteen? And you know, that was that, that famous, uh infamous I guess, statement where he said Foons the the Bundesliga is forbye. Like for, for us, the, the league is over. Mm. Just after they'd sealed the title and, and it, it really came back to haunt him and it, it ended up being one of his biggest regrets at Bayern that he basically not only in private but publicly said, right, we're sacking off the league. Mm. And obviously then then got... One thing about that, I, I, a little bit of sympathy for Guardiola there. There's always this talk about his his Champions League record at Bayern was, you know, so he should have won it once, maybe that's probably true, but it's not such as he didn't win it, it's that two of the semi-finals are calamitous. I don't really buy that. One of them was Messi just being Messi. And I think they were actually quite good in that Barca game uh, in the first leg. And in the second one, or the other one, which was the first one. This would be 15, 2015. Yeah, so 2015 was Messi. 2014, though, was the 4-0 defeat to Real Madrid. Yeah. I thought that was just a bit kind of... That, again, was one of those matches where there's one weakness in the team and just the way the game plays out because Real Madrid went 1-0 ahead, they just were able to exploit it uh, rather than kind of being Real Madrid completely outclassing Bayern. So I mean, uh, we we, we talked about this. I mean, this Bayern team. I mean, should should they should they have won a Champions League, or or is it, or is it the nature of a cup competition that you can't you can't really guarantee yeah. success in it? Uh, I mean, how often does I mean I, I think this is a theme that, that we've come to before. But how often does the best team win win the Champions League? I'd say about. Ha- I think we we did a piece in the last year actually. Well, I did, and use my own subjective judgments as to who was the best <laughs> team. Uh, I'd say about half the time. Which is pretty good for a knockout tournament because, yeah. you know, so much can happen. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's also, I mean, Pep probably just about should have won more with Bayern, really, despite the competition. But also, Barca should have won more with the advantage of Messi. And it's actually a little bit of an indictment to Barca that now that Real have kind of... Have, like Barca were seen as kind of in the same way that they were, they were to the modern Champions League what Real were to the old European Cup. But now Real have kind of just restore their status. Yeah, I mean, uh, was it the 2012-13 the team, the one, the one that, that got 100 points in mm. 
in in the Liga, like won the Liga by 15 points. And they, that, was a, that was a huge missed opportunity. 2012, obviously, we know about against Chelsea. That was a huge missed opportunity. Did Barcelona actually sell themselves short? Well, a classic one, actually. And I was discussing this last night after I made the, uh, the horrendous mistake of having a mild go at... Well, it wasn't really a mile ago at, uh, <laughs> at MLS and, and Zlatan on that. But it was, somehow we got it's onto not this. the MLS. <laughs> it's just MLS. <laughs> yeah, oh, that one always goes well. Um, but a discussion about Zlatan and David Villa, who are both obviously you know already MLS, the MLS legends. Um, but had Barca signed Villa in 2009 rather than 2010 and then rather than Zlatan, I think they'd have won three in a row. Oh, so hang on, oh nine. So that was so that was the inter year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, do you think it have made a difference? The difference in that in that semi. Yeah, and I, if you look, at, I mean, this comes back to this issue of the of the knockout and how the kind of nuances of it can distort things. But if you look at the amount that went against Barca in that semi, um, Iniesta was injured uh, and just about got, but got fit enough in time to score the winner for Spain in the World Cup final. They had all the nonsense, the volcano, and that ludicrous travel. Um, they should have had a penalty, I think it was, a one-all in the first leg. Then in the second leg, we had this incredible game, to be fair. But there was still a bad miss in the last few minutes. And then a goal, two goals ruled out. Off, or it was one ruled out for offside, was it? So PK scored, what was it, like five minutes to go? Ten? Eight minutes, I think. Eight, eight minutes to go. Hmm. And and no. then then there's 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 not a siege and there yeah. was a couple of goldmouth scrambles I remember. Yeah, but but Zlatan could barely get in the team by that point. Or he was already he was already kind of been shuttled around for Pedro and that. Yeah, yeah. I mean Ronaldo is probably the key. He is particularly good in the Champions League, as yeah. we can see. He's particularly good in knockout ties. And essentially, United got to two Champions League finals powered by Ronaldo. Yeah. They got to another one a couple of years later with a team still kind of living off the memory of Ronaldo yeah. a little bit. And then, obviously, subsequently at Real Madrid. So I think, you know, if you're looking for the great Champions League player of the last 15 years, it seems yeah. to be Ronaldo by some way. It, I mean, I've done, over the last, this season and last season, I've done a fair few Real Madrid knockouts. I think actually I was thinking of it during the uh, during the uh, the PSG first leg, and I was and I was exact same actually in the Bayern quarterfinal last year. Ronaldo was playing poorly, and I was kind of like trying to write as we go, just so we can obviously file quickly. And you're kind of thinking, I can't criticize Ronaldo here in any way because it will be you just, know. yeah, you, you just it, know. It, it is, and it's it's such a familiar sight and sound now. Ronaldo gets that goal, the, the Bernabeu plays that song, Allah Madrid. That's yeah. our, that's our, that's our pop song, isn't it? Yeah, good, great, great tune. <laughs> um, you kind of you kind of get used to saying, "Well, he didn't have a great game, Ronaldo." Yeah. Apart from you know how how was your how was your trip to how was your how was your car ride, Mrs. Kennedy? Right. <laughs> apart from the two or three goals, right. Uh, apart from yeah, apart from the two or three goals, yeah. he had a he had a pretty poor game, and and there's certainly I mean for me anyway I mean I'm, I'm sure Ed will have a would have a, a view on this as well that Ronaldo has won as much or or possibly more. Uh, than he should have done commensurate to his talent. Whereas Messi, yeah. without wishing to reanimate that that you know microwave that title debate, Messi has probably not won the, the trophies that you would expect for, for for someone of his talent. He's won like he in terms of league titles, I suppose is the base trophy, and like that will always reward your your quality in that way. He's probably he's Where's won. Brown won five. Hmm? Where's Brown won five league titles? Deservedly so. Deserve, oh, deservedly so. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's just, I'm just illustrating, you yeah. know, you know, the the the, the, def, the messy of mm. the of def, defending. But more so that the league title isn't open to kind of freak, you know, defeats or freak losses. If you, 
if you win, it's... But then again, I mean, there's a stat here, actually. Leagues. I mean, it was about Lewandowski. He scored 22 mm. goals in 28 Champions League games since the start of 1516, mm. which is obviously really good. Yeah. Um, Messi, to. only players to score more, predictably. Messi, 23, so one ahead. And Ronaldo with 40. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, that is just <laughs> astounding. <laughs> did, did we see Lewandowski at the, at, at the weekend? I mean, did we see the, like, Bayern... Dortmund. I, I, I saw the result. I didn't see the game. The six nil. I mean, I, th- I think they were five 0 up at half time or something. It was yeah. just, it was absolutely scary. I, I was reading a piece last night by Raphael Honigstein actually said who got on about how the Bayern players actually you could see they began to feel sorry for Dortmund almost, and you know they, they really did actually rein it, rein it back in. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, you kind of got you, you felt the same impulse during this that seven one mm. where Germany kind of almost. They took their foot off the gas. That, that, that's something that still disappoints me. That seven one, because it, <laughs> <laughs> the, the sadist in me coming out. But in the first half, what I really loved was the way Germany were kind of just—they were so ruthless about it, kind of. Oh, we're having this. Yeah, and like I'll be having my goal here. <laughs> I will have goal. <laughs> <laughs> goal for me now. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's um, again not racist. Um, <laughs> actually, on the, how on the subject of tasteless uh, jokes, is it a fifty-five years? Is it okay for you to make a Mrs. Kennedy joke? But you know, obviously, the well, we saw a Kennedy assassination in yeah. the Premier League on mm. Saturday, didn't we? Go on. Uh, the terrible foul by Kennedy on mm. <laughs> hey. the Huddersfield player, but it was it was pretty bad. Did he mm. did he go down like like he had had been? Fouled. And in a way, St. James's Park is on a grassy knoll, isn't it? <laughs> 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 but you know, it's okay to make a Miss Lincoln joke. Is it? Are we are we close enough now to do a, do a Kennedy joke? Oh, too soon. Too, so- too no, soon. No, I, I think I think that's all right, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be kept in. Fifty, <laughs> fifty-five. Yeah. Let me uh, let, let me note the time. <laughs> let me let me note the time just in case Murph wants to uh, Murph wants to have a little listen to it and possibly the the Independence Legal Department as well. <laughs> I'll just note the time stamp. On on that. Uh, any further business? I guess um, if we're if we talk about uh, you know the, the the elite of Europe, we should probably uh, deal with the other end of it as well. And um, and West Brom and, and poor old poor old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some successful European excursions. This Are season you talking about the 2012 Manager of the Year, Alan Pardew? Yeah. Who's how many how many years left on his on his Newcastle contract? Mm. Seven decades, I think. But <laughs> just as a, as a strange aside on that, the two seasons Man City have won the league, 2012 and 2014, their manager didn't win Manager of the Year and it went to Pardew in 2012 and Pulis in 2014, mm-hmm. both of whom West Brom have dispensed with this season. That's it, a great fact. History truly comes full circle. Indeed. Yeah, yeah but I mean, th- why is that? I don't know. Well, I think those seasons. I'm not, I mean, I'm not asking you for like the deliberations <laughs> of the, of the, of the, of the panel, but you know, do you, I mean, do, do you get do you get um, is is taking charge of Manchester City kind of like taking charge of of Barcelona on FIFA or? Well, I think both those seasons they didn't run away with the title, did they? I mean, yeah. particularly 2012, Mancini's performances in the closing months <laughs> up to a point. I mean, he went bad, but then he went good. So I mean, he that is good managerial. Acumen, I'd yeah. say. Um, but Pardew got it. There was, there was a, in 2013 and 14, there's a little bit of sense that maybe this is kind of slightly skewed by the narrative around Liverpool, but it, that it kind of just fell into City's hands by the fall. But that's actually a bit harsh because do you remember around December 2013, people were talking about how oh, our City playing the best football we've seen in, in the Premier League? Oh, yeah. Um, like, was it 100 goals they yeah, scored? Yeah, they were good, good side. Yeah. But, but now they're better. 
Well, I, I, yeah, I think I really think that Pellegrini side was is kind of hard done by in retrospect because everybody talks about Liverpool. Mm. Uh, they were they were a legitimately great side and obviously undone by by what came you know in the season after. Um, I mean, Pardew is, is Pardew finished at the top level? For a bit, what does Pardew do? Where, do? where does where does Pardew, a man who was promoted like well above his his station in was it two thousand? Mm. Eight, nine, to nine. You know, when when he, t- he got the Newcastle job, that that's he's had a good run at the top level. Surely you just say, right, I'll, I'm I'm taking the whole job. You know, whatever. I mean, your piece you wrote on him. You know, the the was it? He said to um, Gary Megson. He rang Gary yeah. Megson, didn't he? Basically, Megson. This is actually you, you can watch this on um, YouTube. It's it's amazing. Megson on. I think it's the you, you are the ref international podcast. But Megson basically says, Alan, strangely, well, not strangely, he's a, he's a nice man. Uh, those are almost Megson's exact words. But Pardew rang him and basically accused <laughs> him of denying him his, uh, his new manager bounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we heard like, about this. I like, so, so he took charge for a couple of games and then... Yeah, yeah, because, because there had already been a lift. And, uh, you know. There's some extraordinary stories already that, that have come out about Pardew's reign at West Brom. Well, yeah, Matt Wilson's piece in the Express yeah. and Star is yeah. excellent. Actually, everyone should should read that. I linked it on my Twitter earlier, but it's. Uh, I mean, so there's one story that is, is a bit, before they play City, he's Stanfield. St- he, yeah, he's obviously come through the youth team at West Brom and he's very popular with the fans, as happens with that mm. trajectory. And and yeah, apparently Pardew was fairly. Uh, you know, singled him out as someone to kind of get at, <laughs> and yeah, the, and the one the uh, the question repeatedly asked, not just once, repeatedly asked, feel before the game was, "You're shitting yourself, are you? You're shitting yourself." That, that, that <laughs> well, I I wasn't before, but <laughs> <laughs> actually, is this is this the most farcical? And then she had just loads of emoji. I mean, he was kind of trying to, you know, it could be it, yeah. spread it around the team. I think these things yeah. gather a momentum, you know. Things just just snowball for West Brom in, in a way that if they kept hold of Pulis, they probably, you know, you'd, you'd have given them a, a decent chance of staying up. Yeah, probably, yeah. But, but one, one I think there's this thing with clubs. So how many seasons has West Brom been in the Premier League now? Eight, nine, ten, something like that. They came up in no nine, ten, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so coming on for a decade. Um, and there is a finite amount of time that a club can keep finishing between ten and yeah. and tenth and fourteenth. You we're, know? Se- we're seeing this with Southampton and, and, and Swansea now and, and Stoke that... You know, I always think of it as the as the Charlton thing. You know, Charlton fans wanted um, Kerbishly out in the mid two thousands because they were like, "We we need to get into the UEFA Cup. <laughs> we need to progress." And uh, they got their wish in in one sense, and not their wish in many <laughs> other senses. So you know, you look at Bolton, look at Blackburn, look at Wigan. You know, you can drop out of the the Premier League and and spiral down pretty quickly. At a certain level, that 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 just becomes about boredom. If you're yeah. a fan, I mean, there's, there's something really quite dispiriting about well, Yeah, I know a couple of Villa fans who are absolutely loving the season because they're like, we win most weeks. Yeah. You know, we're looking at the league table going, oh, can we close the gap here? And it's exciting, you know, whereas the last few seasons in the Premier League would, were certainly not. Existence. And, and uh, you could argue that that's what's happening at, Ars- at Arsenal now. Mm. Whether well, I mean, that, that the lifeblood of football, in every sense, really, is motion. In terms of, like, the idea that you can things can be better that we can go somewhere that there's some sort of volatility that there's excitement so if you're just kind of the same sort of well, the same yeah you look at Stoke and it was the big achievement of recent times is that they finished ninth for three seasons <laughs> in a row and <laughs> I mean maybe <laughs> maybe I'm dead inside but that wouldn't strike me as that exciting really there's a great bit in the uh, in in the West Wing where uh, I, th- I think it's uh, season season three or four and, and President Bartlett is basically seeing a shrink and 
the, the shrink is, is, is talking about how when you're president, you basically get measured against the absolute great. So like Lincoln mm. freed the slaves, Roosevelt, New Deal, uh, you know, uh, Kennedy and, and uh, Lyndon Johnson with it with the Great Society. What, what are you going to say? Like, and, and President Bartlett goes like, I've, I've had three successive quarters of, of economic growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he says like, it's harder than it looks. And, 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 the, shrink, and, and the shrink's like, I, no, I do believe you. But you know, <laughs> no, 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 seriously, it is harder than it looks. <laughs> but that, 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 it's kind of like that. Three successive ninth place finishes. Mm. Where, where's the, you know, where's... It's similar to Tony Soprano to his shrink, Melfi. You know, every, every day is a gift. But does it have to be a pair of socks? <laughs> That sounded like one of those laughs that was that was actually cut in later. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> that, was a, that was a genuine like. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it is Pardew's reign. I mean, you can't deny there's been some excitement there. Is is the most? Uh, well, I think Felix, M- Felix McGat. Yeah, oh, the cheese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brett Hanglin did confirm to me a couple of months ago that, that did happen. The cheese. He let me touch his leg with cheese as well, which was good. Um, obviously, I mean, that, that, we'll, whole, that whole season, Mullenstein and McGat. Yeah, well, another. You know, a team who sacked two managers mm. in a season. Um, obviously, Wolves with Terry Connor, who they they sacked Mick McCarthy without the, even the, the most kind of memorable thing with that wasn't almost a farce, but it was Terry Connor's sad post match interviews. Very upset, yeah. yeah. So he, he, you felt very sorry for him. Go and get the guitar. That was basically it. <laughs> yeah. And yet this season, you know, Wolves are going to replace West Brom, so yeah. it all comes good in the end. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's enough now, I think. Yeah. Um, that's enough for everyone. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my thanks to Duncan Alexander from Opta and Miguel Delaney from Miguel Delaney's uh, little little universe. <laughs> thanks, um, We'll see you next week. I think Ed will be back. Uh, I'm not here as I have to stay indoors and, and um, some some guys are coming to fix our broadband. Uh, we should have previewed our game of six aside later. That's five oh, today, is it? Yeah, yeah. So... so um, yeah, we're playing we're playing five side later this afternoon at, at Southwark, yeah. um, across the road from um, from Talksport, where w- one time the Northern Ireland manager Michael O'Neill actually came out of the of the Talksport studio yeah, and started watching our game. It was before Euro twenty sixteen, so he was doing all the round, round of interviews. Yeah, yeah. Um, None of us going to Yeah, we'll we'll have a, a thorough review of that game next week. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, d- do the mash that subscribe button as as they say on um, on YouTube. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.